renting out your property to maximize your profits and your passive income. I think this component gets overlooked a lot. As a loyal Best Ever listener, you know that it's important that we as entrepreneurs focus on managing our time effectively, which is why we're always looking for ways to automate the basic duties of our business so that we can focus more time on our money-making activities. That's why I want to introduce you to Rentler.com. At Rentler, landlords and property managers can perform all their duties in one place. Rentler offers tools that allow you to automate tasks like listing a unit for rent, finding and screening tenants, collecting rent, and managing the maintenance requests. And even better, these tools are offered at zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T-R-Y-R-E-N-T-L-E-R.com forward slash best ever to get started today. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Melanie Badrovic. How you doing, Melanie? Great, great. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. Yeah, my, my pleasure. Nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Melanie. She is a serial entrepreneur, a real estate investor, a best-selling author, speaker, educator. She became a millionaire at the age of 27, and she is the author of The Wealthy Barmaid from Minimum Wage to Millionaire, based in Niagara Falls, Canada. With that being said, Melanie, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure, absolutely. My career in real estate started pretty young because I started working at a really young age. I was 12 years old and my parents had a restaurant. You know how it goes. You start working in the family business. So I started in the back in the kitchen. I went on to hostessing and busing, serving and bartending. And I did that for a solid 15 years steady all through school. And what I was doing at that time was just, I tried to save as much as I possibly could. My mom was big on saving. She taught me from a young age. So I was saving like a hundred percent of my paychecks. By the time I was 22, I had a good little nest egg, a bunch of money saved up. But at that time I was already like, you know, not that I don't love bartending, but I knew I didn't want to be a bartender forever. So I wanted to figure out how could I make that money work for me It was actually my dad who recommended that I invest my money in real estate. And it was one of the options I was looking at. So I decided to do it. And that was one of the biggest turning points for me. Ended up looking at like a hundred properties before I found the one. And it was uh, absolutely like it shifted everything for me. The best decision I made. And it was a single family house. That's been my strategy ever since. And since then, I just continued to purchase more single family homes, building myself a little portfolio which was super cool. Never was intentionally the idea, but I just thought, Hey, I want something for retirement. I want something just in case. What if something happens to me? I knew that these properties would produce something. I wasn't that savvy back then, but then when I was 27 years old and I was still working in the bars again through school, I felt it was time. I wanted to start my own business and get into commercial real estate. I knew that would be another big turning point for me. So that's what I did. Bought a big piece of commercial property out where I'm from. It's a city very close to Niagara Falls called St. Catharines. And I decided to run my business out of it. And it's a restaurant bar. It's a success five years and counting now as we do this podcast. And again, huge turning point for me, both financially and just for my own confidence because it was such a big decision. I was scared out of my mind. I really put everything out on the mm-hmm. line. But again, one of the best moves I've ever made. And that kind of brings us to today. Wow. Well, congrats on that starting really incredibly strong out of the gate with the single family house that you bought when you were 
22 years old, and then you continue to buy more. Were all those properties in Canada? Yes, they were. Okay, cool. What type of financing did you get with those properties, especially the first one, knowing that that was the first deal that you did and banks might not have been as happy to lend to you? True. What happened on that first deal again, I had, I guess, I don't know if you want to call it an advantage or on the opposite spectrum, I did it the really slow and hard way. I saved up a ton of money. I was able to provide the down payment that was needed to do a conventional mortgage. Now, at the time, there was a bit of a mistake here for me. You know, I didn't, if I had put in, I think it was five or 10,000 more, I wouldn't have needed the mortgage insurance. So I ended up getting it with that mortgage insurance, but that added to my monthly payments. I made it a little higher, but I did it by myself with my income at the time. I had enough down payment. So it was a conventional mortgage on that first one. And then how many homes did you buy after that until you purchased a commercial property when you were 27? I purchased four more over the course of those next five or so years. And again, I saved as much money as I could. I was working three jobs, so I was able to save at an accelerated rate. I was still in school and I lived with my parents, so I kept my own living expenses down a lot so that I could invest in real estate. And that's basically how I did it. I was able to get those mortgages. I needed a co-signer for the last two because my income wasn't high enough. But the banks that I used were able to use my first few properties, the rental income as part of increasing my rate of income to give me a better ratio to be able to get a mortgage with them. So they were pretty standard. Mm -hmm. Who co-signed? Parents? My parents, yeah. Cool. Working three jobs at one time, will you tell us what a day looks like working three jobs? (laughs) Well, it was fun. I was just revved up. I was so excited about buying more real estate and I always am. I'm always trying to figure out how can I do more and that like, it excites me to do so. But you know, I'd wake up fairly early. I'd go to my first. What time? On average. (laughs) Maybe eight. Okay. 8.30. I didn't have to be at that first job till 10 a.m. What was the job? I've had a bunch, but this one, I'm thinking now one of the first times I was working three jobs, I was a marketing director at an arts council. Okay. So you'd work from 10 a.m. to what time as a marketing director at the arts council? It was about four o'clock. Okay. 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And then what was the second job? Then my second job, and it would be on different days, so all three wouldn't happen in one okay. day. And then I'd go to the bar. I'd work till, it depends. I'd have school too, though, right? So I had to kind of mm-hmm. puzzle every piece in there. But if I had classes that day, I'd finish those classes. And it's really cool in university. You get to pick your own blocks of time when you have your courses. So I was good with scheduling. And then I went to work at night. I'd most of the time close down the bar, but not every single night. Weekends, most definitely I did. And then another job I had, I worked for a PR company. So I did public relations. And you had that job at the same time as the marketing director. So you were going to school and you were also working three jobs. And roughly how many hours were you working on average a week? Yikes. Altogether, I mean, six hours at five, you know, there was that. And then a good 40 at the bar plus another... It was definitely 80 hours. 80 hours a week, plus going to school. <laughs> and what period of time did you do that approximately? Definitely from the age of 23 on, mm-hmm. was working that many jobs. Right, so around tw- 12 to 22 is just doing Yeah, sure. Hours. As a 12-year-old, you weren't working 80 hours? You're such a slacker. <laughs> Got it. So from 23 to approximately 27? Okay. That's incredible. 
what a commitment. And how did you think about your social life? You're living with your parents as a 23, 24, 25, 26 year old. Most people, well, I don't know about most, but some people, myself included, might think, oh, what, what a buzzkill. I don't want to live with my parents that age. Uh, how did you think about that as a 20-some-year-old? Sure. It had its ups and downs. Also, my family background was Serbian and Bosnian, so it's very much a culture thing that, you know, you stay with your parents for as long until you get married or married off or you, you have to okay. or something. So it was very normal in our culture as well. But I was just, I don't know how to explain. People ask me that all the time. They think, man, you really missed out on so much. Or is that good? All you were focusing on was work and money and investing in real estate. But I was so hungry for it that it didn't bug me. I just wanted so bad to secure myself financially. I wanted to make sure that no matter what I'm going to be able to do, whatever it is I want to do, no one's going to tell me no. I'm going to be able to just provide whatever I want for myself. And that was stronger than anything else, than any night out partying with friends or whatever. Of course, I worked every major holiday, event, Halloween, St. Patrick's Days, whatever you want to call it, but I was banking it. So I didn't mind. It truly wasn't like a huge sacrifice at the time. My wants were bigger. Why do you think, and this is more of a philosophical question, so it's really not a right answer, but why do you think some people want financial independence, but don't go to the links that you went to working 80 hours plus going to school, hmm. living with your parents, although perhaps there's a cultural thing, so it's not as shocking, but still, why do you think that is? like I was kind of explaining, is it either just having that want that's so powerful to you inside of you for whatever reason, maybe they don't have that. Maybe they're like, I don't know, I'm fine. I don't need that much. I'll always have a job. I'll be okay. Nothing drives them to the point of sanity. Like, no, 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 no way, Jose. I, I need to have my own stuff. It's either that or plus, they just didn't develop that discipline perhaps. And again, I grew up with a family. My grandparents practically raised me, came from Yugoslavia in 1970 with nothing, with four kids, didn't know a lick of English, knew nothing about the country or the system, the banking, anything. And they made it. They survived. And I grew up with them, watching them work like dogs. They did whatever it took. They were in the bar industry too back in the day. And just stuff I saw them do and go through. And no matter what, they just made it happen. Went to work when they didn't feel like it. Three in the morning, cops call, vandalism, doesn't matter what it is. They just get up and go. And there's like, there's no other option. So I was brought up with that. And maybe that's where the discipline comes from potentially that other people don't have. That's got to be the only thing I can think of. Yeah. The immigrant mindset where you've been exposed to your family your extended family, they didn't have anything when they came to the country and you saw that and you wanted to replicate what they created based on their hard work, it sounds like. Is that fairly accurate? Absolutely. I saw what's possible. If you truly hustle, if you want something to get after it, you can really have it. So I thought, whoa, sky's the limit then. I also think that anyone who is driven who lives with their parents until the age of 27 will do whatever it takes to create that financial independence so that they're not. So maybe there's also, if, if we're not an immigrant or don't have, well, I guess we're all technically immigrants in some form or fashion, but if we aren't a generation or two removed from being immigrants, then maybe we just go live with our parents until we're financially independent. And then that will really drive us to do some things. Now I want to talk specifics about this commercial real estate property. You said you've got your restaurant and bar. Did you have a restaurant before purchasing the property or did you create one as a result of buying this property? 
No, I never had my own bar restaurant, but because I'd been working for my family for a long time, I ended up managing their entire business. And it was a big operation, 25 employees, for example. And they went away a lot. They went back home to Serbia, former Yugoslavia. They took a lot of trips. I was the manager. I dealt with everything. So after years of dealing with all that, I thought, all right, I know what it takes. I can do this on my own. I didn't want to work for my parents necessarily. I didn't want to work for anyone my entire life. I was always an entrepreneurial spirit. I had other little side businesses of my own from the age of 16. So I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And it was just around that time that I was sort of done with it. I'm like, okay, I, I don't want to do this anymore. It's time for me to create my own. I, I need to do my own thing. And I was ready. So that's at the age of 27. I just started looking around for opportunities, for properties. I knew that the only thing I knew hardcore how to do was the restaurant business, the bar industry. So that's where that decision came from, found a great property for that and started my own business from there. So you bought the property and you created the business within the property. That's right. How much was the property? I paid 550,000. It's 20,000 square feet property. The building itself is 5,000 square feet. And it was a bar previously, so it was set up. It was super old, so I had to do a lot of fixing up of the place, but it had a bar, it had a kitchen. Mm -hmm. And that was five years ago? Yeah, 2013. That was five years ago. And what would you say it is worth today if you were to sell it? I've had some people kind of looking at it and some commercial agents asking me if I'd be interested in selling. And it looks like the going rate around now is between 950 and 1.2. Mm -hmm. Congrats on that. How much did you put into the property? That's the best part about this deal. The way I structured it with some creative financing and by using other properties as collateral, I was able to pick it up with hardly anything down up front. It was really like a crafty deal. Will you elaborate on that? Yeah. One of my best mentors, my uncle, he's a huge financing guy and he really helped structure that deal. But I just leveraged the other properties mm -hmm. all as collateral. And oh, I gave her, I think it was five points to the banker and it was a good rate. And we just, I had to pay closing costs. Sure. I mean, maybe when all was said and done, it was less than $20,000 that I had to put up front. Wow. And then to get it to be functional and ready for the first customer to have a beer, how much money did you put into it? Interesting story about that. So I purchased it, I believe it was March 1st. It ended up falling on a Friday. I was adamant that I wanted to open up for business immediately. This other restaurant that I had purchased it from, they had gone downhill, but they still had the doors open and it was really rough. But I thought, I don't want to wait if there are any regulars or customers still coming to this location which I saw there were trickling in and out. I'm like, let's open the doors right away. So you wouldn't believe me. I had a team. I had already hired girls doing interviews elsewhere. I did some at my parents' restaurant, letting them know that a new bar is opening up. Screen people. So I had a team. I took an SUV truck, went out and bought kegs, cases of beer. <laughs> I had another girl bought a bunch of food. I had everyone who was opening up with me come at this very time. My lawyer ends up giving me the key at like 4.30 p.m. It's like, on a Friday. I literally drove from the lawyer's office, came there, unlocked the doors. Everyone rushed in, swept, mopped, did a quick little thing, put some food in the beers in the fridge. And I opened for business right away that day. Wow. I did my renovations and things little by little by staying open. I did stuff overnight. I did a mm -hmm. lot of stuff overnight, but overall, because I did it little by little, it's hard to give you a number right now. 
Mm-hmm. At least ten grand in the very beginning, mm-hmm. and then I did more. I redid the bar area. I redid furniture. Redid booths area, but all one by one. Yep. So twenty thousand to close, approximately ten thousand at the beginning. So that's thirty. And the way you're talking about this, it sounds like maybe another twenty over the last four or five years. For sure, we're not counting all the repairs I've had to do with compressors. Right. But yeah. I'd say another 20 for sure. And then if we were counting those repairs, approximately, what would that be? (laughs) Oh man, something breaks every week. So I don't know how to tell you this one, but oh gosh, at least 10 grand a year. One year, my HVAC went, that was 10 grand by itself. Never mind any compressors or (laughs) coolers and stuff, but let's call it at least 10, 15 grand a year. Got it. Okay. Fair enough. So no more than around 50,000, not including ongoing repairs and maintenance, but just improvements, about 50K all in to close. And now it's worth approximately 950,000 up to over a million. Yeah. That's incredible. Now, if they were to buy that, I imagine they'd be buying the bar and restaurant, which would be a little sticky since you're the owner of it. Right. So how would that work? Well, are you talking about the price? If someone were to buy the property from you... I would include the business. You would include the business, but you're the one who's running the business, yes? Yep. So... started up in two corporations. Okay. So my one company is the tenant, which I happen to be the president of. And the other company is the real estate holding company that I rent from. So it is funky because I'm both and I'm acting as, but it's set up in two different corporations. So if I were to sell, I would sell everything as is. Of course, I'm not going to rip the bar out or rip any equipment out from the kitchen. I would just include all that in the price and I'd sell it with the business mm-hmm. for sure. In order to get this deal, you did the creative financing, your uncle help mentor you and you leveraged your five properties and used them as collateral. And that allowed you to have less down than what's typical. Let's go through a hypothetical scenario. You get a really good offer for let's say 1.2 million. Cause I think that was the high end of the range. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you get a really good offer and you decide, yep, let's do this. I'm going to sell. And then you take the profits from that money and you go to buy something else. In order to buy something else, you're told by the lender that you need to use your other properties as collateral in order to guarantee this loan. Would you still do that? I would. If it's a great deal and I see a ton of potential, it's going to make me a lot of money. Again, I'm certain in my capabilities that I'll make sure whatever the business is, whether it's just commercial rentals, my own business, I'd have to look at the situation. Everyone would be different, but yeah, I would do it again. Absolutely. Cool. And obviously, you know the reason I'm asking, because it could be a domino effect. If something goes wrong, then boom, everything gets wiped away, and now you're starting from scratch, whereas if it was isolated and you weren't using them as collateral, then it wouldn't be a domino effect. But it's just a matter of, is it either doing the deal or not? If it's a yes or no, yeah, that's why I'd still do it, too. Making sure all your ducks are in a row and (laughs) you assess the risk. (laughs) Yep. Based on your experience, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Oh, boy. So I thought about this a lot. And one of the biggest in the terms of single family homes, if you'd like to discuss that, was really renting out your property to maximize your profits and your passive income. I think this component gets overlooked a lot. People are just really trying to 
make some quick money, get it occupied, but it's so gravely important. And it's one of the biggest lessons I've learned so far. And I can really get into some details. Please. Yes, please. (laughs) After setting your rent, learning how to do all that property marketing, conducting the showings, getting to know people, it's really processing the application and screening the tenants. That's one of the most important parts. I skipped it once. I can get right into that. So (laughs) I I didn't verify these people. And this was like my fourth house. So I'm really embarrassed by this story. They were really nice and they gave you their word that they would pay, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Just felt awesome, you know, and you just like feel great vibes with people. Yeah. They were wonderful people. So I wasn't worried at all. I tried calling the previous landlord, but you know, I just couldn't get a hold of them or something. All I did was call the (laughs) jobs and I learned, okay, fine. They were employed, but I didn't do the proper background checks, credit checks, previous eviction notice checks. I didn't do any of that stuff. And I got screwed royally. I hope I can say that word on your show. Sorry. (laughs) People have said worse. Yes. Okay. So they were literally con artists who I learned later were. Oh. Wow, even better. (laughs) Convicted con artists who then conned you. Yes, yes. (laughs) so what they were doing out there, amongst plenty of other things I learned later, but they were posing as landlords in Toronto, and it's a huge market there, so you get a ton of people coming out. And because it's so competitive, people are like throwing money at them, like, here's a deposit, here's a deposit, right? So they were doing showings, taking all these deposits, and they fled the city. On your property? Not on mine. Oh, okay. That's what they did in Toronto, I learned later. So because I didn't verify stuff... It just turned out to be such a nightmare. I didn't triple check after the first month to make sure that the checks had cleared. Didn't check the second month. Third month, finally, I'm like, oh, this looks funky in my bank account. So, you know, I looked at it, bam. I just see that nothing ever cleared. No payments went. They didn't even get the utilities in their name. I didn't do that afterward either, which is a big one now. I called utilities just to make sure, hey, did these tenants put it under their number? What date is it starting? Blah, blah, blah. Didn't do any of that. I was $6,000 in debt because of them at this point. Now I can't even kick them out. She's pregnant. (laughs) Yeah, it was a disaster. By the time you get your court date, it's like three months later. And then it cost me so much money. They were mean to me. Like after a while, it was just brutal. (laughs) Big mistake. I was technically lazy, right? And I was just trusting without verifying. I don't mind Mm. trust people, but verify. So I really, really, really want to make sure that everyone out there, please, God, don't ever skip the step. Don't be lazy. Don't overlook anything. They could be the nicest people in the world. You just never know. That was the only bad experience. Every other tenant, I did everything right. I screened everyone properly, did all the checks. And five, six, seven years later, still in my homes, beautiful. They take care of that property like it's their own. My one tenant, he just like repaved the driveway, doesn't ask me for a penny. It's like their house. So I can have great experiences too. So don't be scared off by it. But I'm just saying, don't ever skip that step. Trust, but verify. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I'm ready. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. You looking for a one-stop landlording software that helps you create listings, find and screen tenants, and accept rental payments while managing maintenance requests? Oh, by the way, it's zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T-R-Y-R-E-N-T-L-E-R.com forward slash best ever. Imagine investing in value-add multifamily for the next three to five years and achieving financial independence with that income. James Kondasami from episode 1273 is offering free one-on-one consultations. Go to his website at achieveinvestmentgroup.com and click invest with us to schedule your free one-on-one consultation. Best ever book you've read? 
The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success, Deepak Chopra. Best ever deal you've done that we haven't talked about oh, so man. far. <laughs> ready for me. I guess I'm going to have to say, if it wasn't that commercial property, the way that was structured, it's got to be my first, first house was awesome. Great deal. So I got it for a super low price. It was an estate sale and everything was just great. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction that we haven't talked about? That we haven't talked about, I would have to say maybe just not asking my banker for a lower rate. Best ever way you like to give back? That's truly the reason why I wrote my book, created a program so I can just give knowledge, mentor others on how they can do all this too. It's giving my experience to help them fast track their journey and impact others' lives. That's the best way I can give back. And how can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? Absolutely. On my website, MelanieBadrovic.com, anywhere on social media. I'm on all the stuff, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn. I'm all there at, at The Wealthy Barmaid. Melanie, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for talking about your journey, how you're able to save money and just through hard work from 12 to 27, some sacrifices or perceived sacrifices. That is certainly debatable because what exactly are you sacrificing to then gain? So perceived sacrifices you made, living with parents, clearly not as social of life as other 23 to 27 year olds because you were working a whole lot, even though it was at a bar, which could be fun. But then also the approach that you took for the creative financing on your first deal or the first commercial deal and the risk assessment that you thought through from a collateral standpoint using the first five properties as collateral. Some might not be comfortable with that. Some might be comfortable with that. And just it's interesting to hear your thought process for why you were comfortable with that. So thank you so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Imagine investing in value-add multifamily for the next three to five years and achieving financial independence with that income. James Kondasami from episode 1,273 is offering free one-on-one consultations. Go to his website at achieveinvestmentgroup.com and click invest with us to schedule your free one-on-one consultation.